0: You may be seated this morning. It's so good to see you this morning. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, we're going to be in the story of Peter's denial of Jesus. If you're new to Dawson, we're walking through Mark's gospel together. Today's an exciting day in the life of our church as we've resumed on-campus life group activities for our students, our preschoolers, our children. And we're so thankful that some of you are here who have been longtime uh, visitors of Dawson or members at Dawson, and this is the first time you've been on our campus in maybe six months in our worship service. And so we are just so thankful that you're here. We were led beautifully this morning, wasn't it? Uh, encouraging, stirring this morning to see a piece of our choir, along with our instrumentalists and John and Eric and Brent uh, leading us so beautifully this morning. Uh, I know you uh, experienced that. I appreciate it. Hey, let's do this. Will you show your appreciation for those that led us this morning? Yeah. So, so encouraging, so encouraging this morning to be together. And I, I get to do this three times on a Sunday morning. And just from the very outset to hear our choir just leading us this morning. And John, it was just so deeply encouraging, so deeply just uh, stirring at a, at, a, at a heart level. And I think it's been that for all of us that have been here this morning. So uh, two weeks ago, the Homewood High School football team was playing uh, Macadory. So I get my youngest son, excuse me, my middle son, and we're gonna head to see his brother, who's a freshman, we're gonna go to that game, and so Danielle looks over at me, and she goes, you know where McAdory is? And I was like, oh, of course I know where McAdory is. I mean, that's where Bo Jackson played. I mean, Bo, everybody knows where McAdory is, and so I, I looked at the, the time, and had it completely panned out, paved out exactly when to get there, about 6.45 to get there, to make sure I had the right seat there, so me and, uh, Luke, we were in the vehicle. Good good time driving over to Macadory. Pull into the high school, and I just noticed, boy, there's not a whole lot of cars here. And then I pull in closer to the football field, and notice that we've got the whole stadium to ourselves right there. And so, needless to say, I was so overconfident in where Macadory was, I failed to look at the ticket to know that it was a home game that we were playing, and we were not playing in Macadory. And so. Needless to say, I figured that out really quickly and we got back to where we were playing. But there have just been several times, I don't know what it is about my personality, but that has been a theme. You can pray for Danielle, my wife, because that kind of stuff is what I have done for 20 years of marriage. So often I will lean over to her, especially when we're driving on vacation, and I will say something like this Sweetie. I know a better way. I know a better way. I know a quicker way. And those better ways sometimes hastily thought out can lead, not always, but they can lead to dead ends. They can lead to, us being lost. There have been many major metropolitan cities that we've gotten lost in and we've got some wonderful memories for, but it's usually preceded by an overconfidence on my part to say, I think I know a better way. Now, ways and Google Maps, they have helped a whole lot with this because I can just put in the final destination, but even when I think I know the final destination. Sometimes I've got the final destination wrong at times, too. Now, I never get lost. I just get turned around, right? You know, that's what it is. You just get turned around in life every once in a while. But what happens behind the will can certainly happen behind the will of your life. Uh, your, Your better way, your quicker way, your shortcut at times can spiritually lead to dead ends. Well, don't just take my word for it because one of the most famous examples of a better way leading to a spiritual dead end is the denial of Peter three times in the courtyard of the high priest. Mark chapter 14 tells us that story. It starts in verse 53. We'll read 53 and 54. We'll pick up the story in verse 66. So 53 through 54. In 66 through 72, do you see it in your copy of God's word? Mark 14, read along with me. And they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said this, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, while the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. The context of Mark chapter 14, especially Peter's denial of Jesus, comes on the heels of Judas' betrayal of Jesus with a kiss, sinister kiss. After Judas' betrayal, the question that Mark is going to answer for us is what will be the reaction of the disciples? Verse 51 is this sort of mysterious passage that really exemplifies the uh, overall spirit of those first followers of Jesus as he's arrested. In verse 51, we read of this anonymous bystander who's a follower of Jesus, a young man, Mark tells us, who is so fearful that he flees, and in fleeing, he leaves his clothes behind. You no know, scholars over the last 100 years say that Mark is actually telling on himself that he's given an insight into his own reaction, that we will not know for sure. I mean, we can conjecture about who verse 51 is talking about, but this we do know for sure. While that's a passing vignette into one person's response, we have, we have a detailed response of one of the closest followers of Jesus, Peter. Now, Peter is in the intimate proximity to the incarnate Son of God. I mean, he's on the inside of the 12 disciples here. We we see that Peter would be the first disciple in Mark chapter eight who confesses Jesus as the Christ. Mark chapter eight in the King James Version, you remember Peter was the one that said, thou art the Christ. Peter has a front row view to two of the most memorable accounts in Jesus's life. This high point of his earthly ministry outside of his crucifixion and resurrection is the Mount of Transfiguration. Who is there? Peter, James, and John. One of the lowest points in uh, Jesus's ministry. Who is there? Peter, James, and John, the Garden of Gethsemane. So Peter is not just a disciple on the fringes. He's not a Judas-like disciple where Mark reminds us and has to tell us again and again, he's one of the 12, he's one of the 12. We know that Peter is a faithful follower. If you're following Peter's arc of his development, you come to this sort of crescendo of events that that find themselves in the upper room on on that Holy Thursday, where at approximately eight o'clock, it will be Peter who says to Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. About one hour later, at nine o'clock, he will draw his sword and defend Jesus by cutting off the servant of the high priest, Malchus' ear. And then at 10 o'clock, We find the one who would be so quick to draw a sword, the one who would be so quick to say, I will never desert you. At 10 o'clock, he's warming himself around a fire, denying that he even knew Jesus. How did he go off course so quickly? How could one who was in such intimate proximity to Jesus for three years traveling in one direction and then in one night take such a dramatic detour. How can one who would have said to Jesus, I'll never leave you, just a few hours later say to the whole crowd, I never knew him. Peter was a man who thought he knew a better way. And when you follow Peter's story, you begin to see that his detour you could see coming. His spiritual dead end, you could see it coming. If you go back to his confession of Jesus as the Christ in Mark chapter eight, it's right after Peter's confession where he says, you're the Christ, that Jesus says to him, yes, you're right, Peter, and I as the Christ will die. I will suffer and I will be raised. And Peter wouldn't have anything to do with it. No! There's gotta be a better way. And then we read in Mark chapter A Peter took him, him as Jesus, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. He, he only knew of a conquering Messiah. He would not have a suffering servant. He would not have a suffering, crucified Messiah. Jesus, in verse 33 of Mark 8, turning to him, seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, Get behind me, Satan. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus says, Peter, you're choosing your way instead of my way. And your better way, Going to lead to a dead end. You would think that that might have gotten Peter's attention. You, you would think that Jesus' words, Get behind me, Satan, might have been the very intervention that Peter would have needed to hear. But Peter still chooses, as we follow his development in the Gospels, he still chooses his better way. We zoom in that Holy Week, Thursday evening, we're in the upper room. The disciples around, Jesus says to them, all of you will fall away and you will be scattered like sheep. And Peter protests, (laughs) They might, they might leave you. All these other guys, they might run. They might flee in fear, but not, not this guy, not this guy. Jesus has to say to him, listen, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times before the rooster crows. And then he says, even after Jesus tells him that, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Just a few hours later, there in the garden of Gethsemane, there's Jesus crying out to the Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And where do we find Peter? Where do we find James? Where do we find John? We find them snoozing. Sound asleep three times. After he's wakened the third time by Judas kissing Jesus upon the cheek, the high priest and the religious leaders coming to arrest Jesus. Peter wakes up, pulls out a sword, misses the high priest, gets the servant. Malchus is his name, cuts his ear off. It's in that moment again, going back to Mark chapter 8, Jesus looks at Peter and he rebukes Peter. Put your sword away. I'm not coming to bring that type of messianic kingdom You've missed it, Peter. You continue to choose the better way. Now, we don't read this in Mark's gospel, but if you listen to the contours of the story, you can almost in this moment hear Peter going off to the side and pouting. I've given my whole life. I've given my whole life to follow Jesus, and this is how he repays me. I've given all to follow him. and He's rebuking me. I can't do the right thing. I can't say the right thing. This is what I get for the last three years. You you can almost in this moment see what would lead to him going into the courtyard. Mark, Mark gives us some details. He's not a man of details, but it's interesting what details he gives us in Peter's denial. He he tells us that in the courtyard, there's a fire. Why? Because it's cool that evening. So Peter, he goes as a bystander, not wanting to be seen, lest he too be arrested. And maybe the fate that Jesus has spoken of is going to be his fate. So he's away from the crowd, but he goes to the fire. The fire illumines his face. There, the servant of the high priest recognizes him and says, oh, uh, that's one of them. I don't know him, he says. He backs away from the fire. Goes into the gateway of the courtyard. Some other people had heard the commotion. They, they recognize who he is. And it's in that moment that they say, yep, yep, you're one of them. You're a Galilean. And again, he says, no, I don't know even what you're talking about. The rooster crows, And then the third time, the high priest's servant, along with the crowd, they join together and they have one accusation, you are one of them. It's in that moment, he uses the strongest words possible to distance himself the whole time. He's backing away from Jesus. Now, it's easy for us to, to think in this moment, all Peter's doing is dusting off that sort of old fisherman's language and he curses just to be emphatic. But actually, in the original language of the New Testament, the word that is used here is the word we get anathema for him. So it's not that he's just physically distancing himself from Jesus in this moment. He is with his words, using the strongest words to disavow allegiance to Jesus in Jesus's greatest need as he's arrested. He's saying, I don't know him, and I am not one of his followers in the strongest words possible. It happened to Peter. You know, that, that's what's so interesting about this story here, isn't it? That, that it happened to one of the closest of the disciples, that, that one of the closest of the disciples would come to this moment and, and ultimately deny and disavow his allegiance to Jesus, one who has walked with Jesus, heard Jesus teach, seen his miracles, professed, that he is the Christ, could take these wrong turns and end up at a spiritual dead end. If it could happen to Peter, how much more so could it happen to you and to me? You see, there is a proneness to wandering in the heart of every follower of Jesus. We see as we track through Peter's sort of travels that we can see this coming, and we see how it comes in our own life. We see that Peter's journey becomes our journey when we choose our better way when we say to Jesus, I know more than you know. You know, that's what Peter's doing, when he confesses Jesus as the Christ in Mark chapter 8, he protests to Jesus. You can't be a suffering servant. You can't die on the cross. What is Peter doing? He is saying, I've got a better way for you, Jesus. I don't, I don't want to hear of your way because I've got a better way here. He refuses in this moment to accept the will of God because he is choosing his own understanding of what he wants to Jesus to do, even when Jesus says, you're going to deny me, what does Peter say? He says, look, everybody else might do it, but I'm never going to do it. I'm the type of disciple that will never forsake you. Be careful, follower of Jesus. Be careful the roads that you say that you will never travel. One of the most famous Proverbs Probably the most familiar proverb to us is Proverbs 16, 18 that says familiarly to all of us, pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. You know what the blowfish is? Sometimes the blowfish is called the puffer fish, but it's a fish that when it is trying to evade predators, blows up. It has an elastic stomach, so it takes in air, it takes in water, and it can grow uh, in this huge sort of three times, four times, its regular size, and not only does it blow up, it has this toxin that it secretes that's 1,200 times more poisonous than cyanide. A blowfish can kill, the, the poisons that is secreted from a blowfish can kill 30 adult humans by being puffed up. And what pride does for you, what it does for me, is we're puffed up with our own pride, our own. We'll never do this. There's never a way that we would ever travel that road. When pride begins to rear its head in our soul, it is a poisonous toxin that is secreted into every aspect of our life. It is a toxin that, that seeps into our marriage. It seeps into our parenting. It seeps into our church. It seeps into our relationships. They begin to be broken and exchanged. Prod, when it is not confessed, it ultimately leads to this type of poisonous, destruction in your life, and it leads in my life. It leads to, well, it leads to spiritual dead ends, doesn't it? And oftentimes, that pride is rooted in a, well, it's rooted in an ignorance of what is before us and a minimization of the challenges and our need for God to lead us. Let let me just illustrate it this way. I never in my life was more confident of my parenting skills than when I did not have children of my own. (laughs) You ever been there? I mean, I think, I think everyone that's a married couple that doesn't have children will be in a restaurant and there's a child that can not be consoled and it's in that moment you just say, hey, look, if I had kids, my kid would never do that. My kid would never do that. You're in an airplane. Uh, This poor soul of a parent brings in a screaming, wailing child into an airplane that is ready to take off and everybody sort of grimaces and groans and begins to look at the seats that are still open around. And if you don't have children, it's in that moment to say, my child would never, my child would never do that, never do that. And it's only when you have children that you begin to realize some of the challenges and you begin to eat your words And oftentimes, pride is that ignorance of the challenges before us. Sometimes pride is is a a commitment to our self-sufficiency that we know best. And we see this in Peter's words where he says, hey, look, everybody else might leave you, but not I. Not me. So spiritual dead ends, they're found when we choose our better way when we say to Jesus, I know more than you know. But finally this morning, I want you to see that we choose our better way when our intimacy with the Father grows cold. One of the fruits of pride in your life and in my life is prayerlessness. One of the outgrowths of pride in your life and in my life is prayerlessness. Peter denies Jesus three times, and that is foreshadowed by, by Peter sleeping, taking cat naps in the Garden of Gethsemane. How many times? Three times. Three times Jesus comes to Peter, James, and John and says, Wake, pray with me. Three times they sleep. Now listen, we don't need to heap portions of guilt upon any person here like myself who late at night is Talking to the Lord and wakes up the next morning, where, where I think one of the sweetest things that can be done at times is for you to pray to yourself to sleep, but that 's not what 's going on with Peter here. This is not the sweetness of intimacy in the garden of Gethsemane. it is a it is a symbol of his self sufficiency in this moment. It is his symbol of, of him saying. I can do this apart from an intimacy with the Father. And, and it is shown even in the way that Mark gives us the spatial dimensions of his denial. He, he comes into the courtyard with a distancing scene to Jesus. It's only the fire, it's only the comfort of that moment that brings him closer, and it's only the illumination of the fire that shows his, his countenance to everyone that is there. But as soon as they recognize him, what does he do? He moves back, and prayerlessness in your life, prayerlessness in my life, When we move away from the truth of John 15, 5, that apart from him, we can do nothing, and we start living as if we can do everything apart from him, and we grow cold in our intimacy with him in the word. We grow cold with our intimacy with him on our knees, and we live wordless life, prayerless lives. What happens is that we, over time, through our words, but most often through our actions, begin to deny that we're followers of him. Now, rarely would any of us stand up and say, I don't know him. But if people looking at us can see because we're so far from an intimacy with him, they don't see They don't see what a life in love with God actually looks like because we've moved away and our walk begins to waver. Our faithfulness becomes fickle. Our service in the name of the Lord is stilted and ultimately stops. And our priorities to the church, our priorities to an intimate relationship with him, it begins to be trumped by everything that is around us, and if we're not careful, the world begins to squeeze out our intimacy with him. It happened to Peter. Don't think that it can't happen to you and to me. But, I've got some good news. But Peter took some wrong turns. And he was overconfident and prideful and prayerless, and it led to spiritual dead ends. But praise God that Mark 14 is not the end of Peter's journey. You see, Peter ends up in a spiritual dead end, but that that cul-de-sac is not the final destination because if you know the rest of Peter's story, the rest of Peter's story is that when Jesus was raised and before he ascends, he goes to Peter and that relationship is restored and the denier of Jesus that Thursday becomes the great proclaimer of Jesus just a few weeks later on the day of Pentecost. And the wrong turns were made straight by the forgiveness of Jesus. And no matter how many wrong turns that you've made in your life, no matter how many times that you've gone right when you should have gone left, you've gone straight when you've stopped, no matter how far you've gone in the wrong direction, you're never too far to turn back and to turn from your better way to his way. Just last week, I had to speak at a place that I'd never been before, and I thought to myself, "I think I know where this place is, but my phone's right there beside me." So I use Google Maps. I put in the destination, but I still sort of think to myself, "I don't need to. I don't need to look at this. I know where it is." And so, so I'm driving along, and I turn right when I should turn left, and I drive a little bit. And have you ever looked? I don't. I don't have a GPS in my truck, but the. Google does this, Google Maps, maybe Waze does this too, but Google Maps, the whole time I was going the wrong direction, what it does is it says recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. And no matter how far I go in the wrong direction, it is recalculating to show me a way to turn around and to get back on the right path. Do you know that follower of Jesus? that the Spirit of God is always wooing you to confession and to repentance. It's always showing you that if you would just turn here or just turn here or just turn here, yes, they are consequences for our wandering ways, but praise God, there is forgiveness and the mercy of God that no matter how far we go in the wrong direction, there is hope for you to turn around. Are you choosing today your better way? Or are you choosing to follow Him, the way, the truth, and the life? No matter how far you've gone off the beaten course of His will, you're never too far to turn around. Let us pray. So it is, God, that we look into the very pages of Scripture to see the story of Peter and his wandering ways that all of us in this very sanctuary are prone to. There are none of us who are not prone to wander. There are none of us that are not prone to leave the God that we love. And like Peter, pride and prayerlessness at times can lead to us consistently choosing our way and not your way where we say with our actions and maybe even at times with our words, God, I've got a better way. We thank you. We thank you that while there are spiritual dead ends, that they don't have to be the final destination of any of our lives, that even now the Holy Spirit is is calculating a way for us to turn and to receive as we confess our sins and are reminded once again that you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray for all of us in this very sanctuary this morning that need to receive the fresh cleansing of your mercy and forgiveness. May we confess our sins and repent and turn to follow you the way, the truth, and the life. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.